John chapter 8, 48. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father, Abraham, who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you do not know him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced. that He would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and you say you have seen Abraham. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was... I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Father, we come in these moments to acknowledge you indeed are our Father. And we as your children in faith, we cry out again, would you care for us as a father does with his own children to lead and to guide us? Even this morning as we consider your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, from talk shows to politics um, to, you know, pop stars and magazine covers, uh, controversies over paternity, they never cease to capture the attention. You know, finding out that a that a pop star maybe had a, a, a secret love child or to see that a politician is freed from accusations because someone came along looking for money Um, and lied for an easy grab somehow in our culture where we would say that it it really doesn't you know you're you're free it doesn't matter what your parents were you can be your own person but still 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 we, we seem to have our attention drawn towards paternity and in the worst case uh it can turn out to be what everybody fears a child that we assumed originally that their, their parent was maybe, their father was an upright, nice man, but somehow um, it turns out completely different when we discover that someone has a real history. Perhaps a man behind bars. Uh, maybe someone who's really a, a monster or, or the devil himself. And, it, and it's shocking to us when it happens, um, it, it raises eyebrows. Now when done on talk shows, there's always that tense moment. An envelope is brought out, it's kind of torn open, and they pull it out, and they read it, and they, and they say, you are the father, or you are not the father. And at that moment, emotions always come rising up to the surface. Emotions are on full tilt, and uh, somebody shouts out, I knew it, I knew it, or I told you so, I told you so. People are in a state of shock and anger. This morning's passage here is also shocking because when we read the paternity test results, it's not just for one person. It's for two peoples, two categories, two envelopes are read, and emotions will be on full tilt here. 
But when all is said and done, I want this to be clear in your minds as you leave this morning, is that the sons of God abide in Christ and are set free from sin and death. The sons of God abide in Christ and are set free from sin and death. We can see that the children of God are not so by physical birth, but by belief. That is an abiding belief. To get at this this morning, we're going to consider two sets of children under the question by examining slavery and offspring, and then we'll see freedom and fatherhood. Slavery and offspring, verses 30 through 47, freedom and fatherhood, verses 48 through 59. So first, slavery and offspring. Today's passage actually is cutting us right into the section, um, right in the middle of it, that truly began back at verse 12 of chapter 8. Jesus there with his, uh, it be- begins with an I am statement. Now, in the Gospel of John, there, there are numerous I am statements, and they string along, and they, they piece together a full-orbed picture of Jesus. Um, one, one of the key ones is, I am the bread of life. We read that last week. Then we get to, um, see, I am the good shepherd. This is what we'll read next week. But today's passage comes out of a section where Jesus makes it clear that he is the light of the world. What was the, f- the first thing that, that God created in Genesis? What was the very first thing? You know it. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. And there was light. Without light, you can't see. <laughs> Without light, you can't understand. Without light, I, I would argue there would be no life. We would not live if we did not have light. So Jesus says, I am the life-giving light of the world. Now, it's fascinating. Every year, um, the Jews, during their time, they would re-celebrate uh, through this event uh, that would happen during harvest time. This was called the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. We might, in our own vernacular, call it like Feast of Tents. And every year, during the harvest time, for a week, you would come out and you would, you would party. You would set up these tents. You would go camping for a week, and you would be at the temple. And at that moment, they, there would be these lights that were lit, these lamps, four of them. And they would light them, and they're very bright, lighting up the temple. And it's an amazing scene as people are dancing and feasting, and joy is had, reminding them back of the time that they were tenting in the wilderness. But here, there was a saying that was said at that particular time. Um, Amongst the dancing and festivities and the light, the men would come out, and they would say, Happy is every man on whom guilt rests, and he who, having sinned, is now pardoned and blessed. So this saying would be said over the people with the light. So that while there is this festival, the sky is lit up with lamps. And guess what time we are at right here in John 8? The Feast of Tabernacles. And where are they at? At the temple. And what are they looking at? Surely these lights. And what are they hearing? Oh, blessed is the man whose sin is forgiven. And Jesus pointed this says, ha! I am the light of the world. Verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now with the men likely walking around saying this, saying those who have sinned are now blessed with pardon. Jesus responds in verse 21 saying, I'm going away 
and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Do you see that? He says, I'm going away. You will seek me. You will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Now, Jesus, that's not very Jesus of you. (laughs) You know the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People? Jesus forgot to read that book. Because Jesus, he'll come out and he says some very difficult things. Um, to truth be told, we're dealing with Christ here, who from John chapter 2, we found out he knows what is in a man, and surely he knows what is in these Pharisees right here. And really the most loving thing sometimes we can do, and Christ is doing, is to be honest with people. If you really love people, and yet you always hold back from saying the hard and difficult things, question, do you really love them? Here Jesus sometimes has to grab us by the shoulders and tell us the hard truth so that we can accept this and and be able to really be honest, brutally honest. And the brutal honesty is kept up as we pick up in our passage here today in verse 31. I'm going to look at verse 31 through 38. Follow along with me here where Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? Now, pause right there. Is that true? No. They had been enslaved numerous times before. Enslaved by Egypt, enslaved by Babylon, Assyria. And you might even say they're enslaved by the Romans now. This isn't true. Carry on. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Now, when the library has engraved on the top of it, the truth will set you free. What's that mean? It means when you enter into the library and you just go picking any section, you read through all those books in that section, you begin to understand some truth on this topic and therefore you begin to have mastery over it. And in some sense, depending upon what the topic is, it might set you free in that regard. Or when the political book that you pick up, it says the truth will set you free. What does that imply? It implies that if you read this and your country and nation subscribes to this, you will be free. You can pursue happiness. Things will go better. Uh, the truth will be out, these things. And, and yet, something different here is being said. When Jesus says that you will be free, verse, th- verse 34 is, is explaining to it, us to it, isn't it? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. You see that? That's why we're not free. Uh, Man is a slave, born a slave to sin. Sin controls the desires of the heart. Sin is not something that you merely slip into on accident. I think we we tend to view sin like it's a mud puddle. I'm out walking on a trail. I'm busy talking with my friend. I'm not paying attention. And next thing you know, splash. Somehow the sin puddle splashed up on my nice new jeans and ruined them. It's like it was an accident. But here, the illustration that Jesus uses is perfect. It's not like... Splashing up mud on us. No, it's, it's something that owns us. Sin is a slave master. 
outside of Christ, sin owns you. And you're a slave to it. You do what sin beckons you to do. Without faith, we just simply sin. We do not please the Lord. Hebrews chapter 11 makes this clear that without faith, it is impossible to please God. But when we abide in Christ, you you don't just become a free bird to do as you want. No, we have a new owner. This is the good news, actually, that comes out of Romans chapter 6, is that we move from being a slave to sin to becoming a slave of Christ. Christ now owns you. This is when you're finally free to be whom God created you, friend, to be. To, To abide with him. To be whom he designed you in him to be. Oh, and it comes with many difficult understandings. And it comes with trial as we wrestle through what is Jesus really saying and be honest with it. But Jesus wants us to see that freedom is born out of abiding with him. The flow is clear. When are you free? When you abide with Christ. And when we know the truth, the truth will indeed set us free. So what does this abiding look like? What does it look like in your life to really abide with Jesus? I mean, we say this idea, abide with Christ, and then you go, and what does that mean? Well, we've seen some of this here in the Gospel of John so far. He's given us several examples. Chapter 5, verse 25, to hear the voice of the Son of God, to, to hear, that is not just hearing, but listening and receiving what the Son of God has said. Those who do this will hear and live. That's abiding. Chapter 6, verse 29, you, you believe in him whom he has sent. Meaning God the Father has sent Christ. That, that's believing in him is abiding. Six, chapter 6, verse 35, that we believe that he is the bread of life and the water that quenches our thirst. In chapter 8, we are adding to this that to abide with him is to follow Christ as our guide. He is the light of the world. You are blind, you will not see unless you are following the true Jesus. So to follow him is freedom. And it is abiding with him. We also see that he is the great I am who is lifted up on the cross. Verse 28. And to keep his word here, we are to keep his word. This is abiding with him. Keeping Jesus' word. Verse 52. As we already read earlier. Remaining and keeping his words that even challenge us. Matthew 28 adds to this, if we keep this in context, that Jesus says following him means not only being, going and making disciples, teaching them to obey everything that Christ has taught us. Now, these opponents of Jesus, they don't want to abide with him nor his word. And so Jesus makes it clear that, you know, the reason you want to kill me and destroy me is because you actually follow the directions of, of your father. Now, See this at verse 39 where they answered him and they say, well, you know, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are not doing the works your father did. They said to him, we are not born of sexual immorality, implying Jesus was. No, we, we have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I've come not on my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? Is because you cannot bear to hear my word. 
So friends, here's the uncomfortable moment. This is the moment on the talk show when an envelope is brought out and the top is torn off and they pull out and we're reading the paternity test. And he's, Jesus is going to say, you think that Abraham is your father, but no, Abraham is not your father. In fact, it might read like this. Abraham, you are not the father. Who is then? Verse 44. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. And he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks of his own character, for he is a liar and and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? I tell the truth. Why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Friends, what was inextricably linked in their culture was... You were, in essence, tied with your father. You go looking through the town. Who do we, how do we know who the son of the stonemason is? Well, the son of the stonemason was the guy that you saw with a hammer in his hand and a chisel in his hand and a hitting rock. How, how do we know who the, the, the farmer is in the town? Well, easy. Go and find the boy with the plow and the horse out in the field. Because whatever the father does, that's what you do. The two are inextricably linked. <laughs> And so we come to this reality here, the, the works of Abraham that, that Abraham did, Romans 4 makes it clear, they, they were by faith. He was doing these actions and living in belief, trusting God and living his life accordingly. And all those here this morning who live by faith are in line with Father Abraham. He spiritually then becomes our father as we love Jesus. The point is made clear that those who love Jesus are not, they not only have Abraham as their father, but even greater, they have God himself as our heavenly father. This is exactly what Paul flushes out in the book of Galatians in chapter 4, verse 4, when he says, In the fullness of time, when it had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Because you are sons God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, so that you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Of course, as Gentiles, you know, we read Galatians. And this is clear to us. You know, this, it flows, it makes sense. But we go back to John 8, and, and we read this, and we scratch our heads, and we, we, we think, how is it that I even begin to possibly apply this? The Jewish leadership of their day put their hope and their stock in being bloodline descendants of Abraham. And and you, and I think, you know, we think of slavery and offspring and, you know, I'm sorry. I don't know if you noticed, but I just don't put that much stock in my ethnic heritage. I just don't. Spiritually speaking, I could care less. You know, you go back and if I did the 23 and me or whatever, it'd be very clear. I'm like, you know, half German and about half British Isles which means historically I'm at war with myself, which this explains so much, doesn't it? But we, we don't do that. We just don't, we just don't care. You know, I, I, I don't care about these things. Um, you know, but how, how then does this land on us? The question is, do you and I find other ways to spiritually put our hope in our heritage? Do, do you and I ride off of our fruitful past? Do we say, 
those years, those decades, when I was off doing this thing or when I was living here or when I was acting with this church or that organization, those were my fruitful years. And I'm putting my anchor back on those. That's where my hope is found. Am I riding off the coattails of my past that may have been decades ago? Friends, no, that, that's not it. Rather, we should always desire that our best times with Jesus are now. I should desire that I'm growing leaps and bounds in Christ today, not writing spiritually off my past. And so this morning, if this is you and you find yourself in that place where you're trying to hit your wagon to your own past, friend, this morning, the obvious call for you is to go back to what brought joy and hope in Christ. Was it not abiding with Jesus? Was it not reading his words and pondering them? What doesn't this mean for me today that I must pray and pray and pray? God, give me again that light that fire again in my heart that I would find Jesus's words captivating and wonderful. You know, this is how it works individually. And yet corporately, we can do this as well. There's a real danger to this. You know, Stan Wall, who planted this church back in the 70s, And when this building was put up back in the 80s, he saw tremendous growth, fruitful times. And I give thanks to God for the work that Stan did and his giftings and and the way God used him in his era, in his day. And I'm just so thankful for what, how the Lord used him. But none of this will matter when when we as a church forget where we're at today. I, I hope you understand Stan Wall is not here today. And to be honest, I'm a really poor version of Stan Wall. I, I just am. I'm a really poor version of, of Pastor Tim or any of the other pastors who've come before. But none of this, friends, none of this matters because let me tell you, far more important than any of these other leaders in the past or even myself here today, none of that matters. I want you to know this morning, someone else is here today that really matters. Jesus Christ. He's at work by his spirit in this church this morning. And so I'm just reminding us that we cannot hitch our, our, our wagons to the past of our own spiritual life, nor even corporately as a church to where we were at in the past. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that God is doing a work now. So do we abide in him? Will we corporately abide in him? He guiding us as our light in dark times. Dark times we're in right now. And friends, yes, darker times are coming. And yet, I I just hope we see that the kingdom of God will grow and church on the mountain will thrive and the best days are probably ahead of us and we can be unstoppable and it won't be because of us. It will be because these people right here are putting their real stock and hope in Jesus Christ and his spirit as we abide in him. The sons of God abide in Christ and are set free from sin and death. Children of God, they're not so by physical birth, But the children of God are so by belief, by an abiding belief. You ask yourself, you see the mother duck, you're you're driving across the road, this has happened, I'm sure. You see the mother duck crossing and everybody comes to a screeching halt, pulling open their cameras. Or you're walking down the trail and this happens. Who are the children of the mother duck? It's easy. All those little ducklings who are right there stuck to the mother's side. It's obvious to us, isn't it? And it's not too different with us. As we abide with our Lord, we are right there with him. That is how we know we are children of God. And I know that this comes as a trial for us when we consider our earthly parents. You know, some of us here 
to be honest, we have parents who really flew the nest. Um, Some of us have fathers who may have been there physically, but spiritually and emotionally were completely absent. Others of us have fathers just were not there at all. And I don't know everybody's past, but it is very safe to assume that some of us here, like Jesus, were considered illegitimate children. And I hope you hear the good news this morning that counteracts this whole thing. This morning, if you have yet to put your trust in Jesus, in this light, in this Son come from the Father, today, you can, be, you can go from being a, a fatherless child to being considered an illegitimate child, to being one who has a far greater inheritance and lineage in Christ. Today, you can go from from having no hope to, to being one who's richer than any king, to being a child adopted and loved and cherished by our real and true and heavenly father. The future, friends, in Jesus is so bright And good, the Bible basically tells us, as us men were reflecting on this last week in the men's Bible study, it's so good, it can't even describe it. Uh, Life with our Heavenly Father will be so good with every tear being wiped away, providing infinite joy in a paradise, that as John writes here in his gospel, and even as he writes in his epistle, he says, Beloved, we are children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared to us. In other words, You and I, we don't even know how good it's going to be. And he says, but when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And then we come to Paul with 1 Corinthians chapter 2 where he's quoting Isaiah. He says, but as it is written, no eye has seen nor ear has heard nor heart of man has even imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Well, now we come back to the section we read with our opening. And we're turning from this idea of slavery with the Jews and the Pharisees and and, and, and offspring. And now we're looking at freedom and fatherhood in verses 48 to 59. Now we we read earlier as we opened up that Jesus says, look, I'm not not demon possessed. This should be obvious because he honors his heavenly father. He's, He's not here seeking his own glory. But as he honors his father, his father glorifies him, and that is enough. But they insist that, demon, that, that Jesus is demon-possessed, for Jesus speaks of living forever. And then we get this amazing statement that Jesus makes regarding Father Abraham in verse 56. He says, your father, your physical, meaning your physical um, heritage, your father, Abraham, rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. What is Jesus saying there? What does he mean? Well, he's likely not trying to state that, that Abraham, you know, had this one moment of, of uh, seeing Jesus as the fulfillment, but he's likely meaning that, that Jesus is the fulfillment of all that Abraham hoped and believed in. God says, Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless you. Your descendants will be many. Through you will come a blessing that will actually bless not just your descendants, but the, all the nations, the entire world. And Abraham received all of this with, as good news. He says, this is good, and I'm rejoicing in this. And Jesus himself is the fulfillment of that gladness. Being unwilling to receive Christ's words, though, we, we come to what happens here in verses 57 to 59 as we close out the chapter. So the Jews said to him, 
you are not yet 50 years old and, and, and you say you've seen Abraham. <laughs> Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Now remember, I told you, as I open up, when people read the paternity test, people emotionally, they go on full tilt. It's shocking and it brings out anger and we see it right here. They're picking up stones because he's essentially read the paternity test saying, you are of your father, the devil. And more so, he says, if what I'm saying is true here, then actually our debating and arguing, it's, it's totally coming to a screeching halt. Because Abraham rejoiced in faith at the good news. How does Jesus know this? He was there. In fact, he was prior to Abraham. Satan is your father as you are enslaved to sin. How do I know? Jesus says, I, he says in Luke, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I know what the serpent is up to. And I know who his children are. I know who his brood are. And you're right in line with him. Yes, yes. Before Abraham even existed, I am. Meaning, I existed. That is in one sense to say that that God pre-exists all things so that we are taken right back to John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But also this morning, this referent takes us back to Exodus chapter 3, that key passage um, in Exodus where we come to see that, you know, Moses is, is saying, I am, I am sent me to tell you. Remember where, where God's speaking with, with Moses and he says, well, what should I tell him your name is? You're, you're the God. Who, who are you? He says, tell him I'm the God who exists. I am. Tell him that God, not the God who doesn't exist, not the false gods of Egypt. I'm the real true God. Tell him I am. And Jesus here, making no doubt, he's claiming deity. He's not claiming to be a God. He's claiming to be the God. So that if anyone says that Jesus never claimed to be God here, friends, if anybody says to you, Jesus never said he was God, they're not being honest with the text. Maybe we can assume that they just don't know about this passage, but if you really understand this passage, Jesus is claiming to be God. There's just no other way about it. And this has grit for us this morning. This has teeth for us as members of of Church on the Mountain. By joining this church in membership, what you're doing is you're joining a group of people who do, in fact, on one hand, say negatively what we don't believe. This church membership actively will say, we don't believe that Allah is Lord. We, We say, we don't believe that Satan is Jesus's brother. We, we don't believe that you can be reincarnated to have a second chance to do better. Why? Because God is a communicating God and he has made it clear in his scripture. And this book of John has highlighted to us the fact that it's calling Jesus the living word. He communicates what is true. And he's not communicating it to a crook in the corner or a shyster in the corner or a false teacher in the corner. No, God's way of outwardly from the rooftop shouting and proclaiming the truth of who he is and who we are has been proclaimed to thousands of people over thousands of years. Same message that was told to Adam and Eve face to face is the same message that was given to to Moses and to Abraham and to David and to the prophets and the apostles and disciples and to us, not done secretly in a corner. And so as members... 
We not only say negatively what we don't believe, but we say positively what we do believe. And we believe positively here in John 8 that we get two terrific truths we stand on. One is briefly mentioned, the other one is more drawn out. The the one that's briefly mentioned, if you look at verse 40, what does Jesus say here? He says, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth. Now, this is not Jesus' main point of of this part right here, but don't miss it. He says, you're seeking to kill me, a man. Jesus was born a man, and Jesus died a man. Some might say, well, maybe he was just like, he had an appearance of the man, like he was a ghost with clothes on. Mm, not, Not so much. No, Jesus was and is fully, truly human. So that his life would be a perfect substitute for ours. More clearly, though, as we've explained, that Jesus is fully and truly God himself. So that as we come to this passage, we can say, here is a hill that we're going to die on. That Jesus is truly and fully deity. He is God. So that some ask, well, what, what about spiritual gifts? Where, where do we, where do we, are we, are we going to put a flag there? Say, I'm, we're not going to die on that hill. Others will say, well, what about various opinions on man's responsibility versus God's sovereignty? You know, Calvinism and Arminianism. No, we're not dying on that hill. What about end times and how this all comes together and how these things all peace out? Not dying on that one. No. No, see, I love our church because when I first came here, I looked right and I looked left. And I see a people with a hundred different views on all these things. And yet, and yet, I look at Grandma Val. I, 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 I look at Clay Allen. I, I look at Sean Henderson. I look at Judy Simon. And I look at all the other members here. And when it comes to this issue, here we are willing to plant our flag and die on this hill. That Jesus is fully, truly human and truly God. And this is where we are united. And we will not waver. We will not flinch a bit of this. And the byproduct is when we have a membership who comes and rallies around the core truths of Christianity is that it, it means that it erases some of the humanistic categories that you and I sort of swim and breathe in and don't even realize it. You see, how many categories you and I tend to think are relevant? Somebody's smart or stupid, funny, boring, rich, poor, conservative, liberal, Coffee drinkers, non-coffee drinkers. (laughs) Yet none of these categories are helpful to us. With Jesus, there will, in the end, as we're seeing in this passage, only be two categories that remain. A child of Satan, or a child of Abraham, and therefore a child of God the Father. Friends, I hope you realize this. There will be in heaven, unintelligent, boring, poor liberals in heaven. There will be. I'm still trying to sort out whether or not the non-coffee drinkers make it, okay? But, but I kid. But coming full circle and landing this plane, if sin separates me from God, and it does, and it makes me a child of the devil, and if being born in a certain lineage for me will have no help at all, 
And even if the categories of trying to please God by being smart and funny and rich and conservative, if this brings me no assurance, we come right back to the opening point. What hope do you have? Well, the sons of God abide in Christ and are set free from sin and death. Children of God are so not by birth, but by belief and friends, as is in the book of John, it is an abiding belief. Verse 12 Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Verse 31, if you abide in my word, truly you are my disciples and will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Verse 51, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. How can this possibly be? Verse 58, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Friends, with man, this is impossible. Yet with God, all things are possible. You pray with me. Father, we cry out this morning, Abba, Abba, meaning we recognize you are our true Father, our true hope. And so, as hungry children who are helpless, we come before you saying, Will you help us fight the sin that so easily clings to us? Will you give us a sense by your Spirit um, that we are your children? And will you lead us to rejoice as, as your children, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.